So, all the first part of that isn't on there. It's a shame because it's not in the notes either. <laughs> Hosea 2, 19 and 20. So, God is initiating this covenant love with Israel. He initiates it also with us, and it's in the form of wedding vows. And so, uh, Joseph and Mary were betrothed. Remember that? And when she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit, Joseph was going to put her away. He was going to divorce her. So that's how serious it is. If you were already betrothed, you had to get a divorce if you were going to break off your betrothal. That's why it's more important than engagement or more serious than one. So in verse 19, God says, we're going to hear it for us. God says to us, to you, to me. I will betroth you to me forever. This This is Hosea 2, 19 and 20. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. Now these, these are like wedding vows. Listen to what he says. He promises a relationship of permanence. I will betroth you to me forever. You will belong to me forever. This is not just temporary. Then he promises right and fair treatment when he says, I'll betroth you to me in righteousness and justice. When he says in mercy and loving kindness, he is promising unfailing love, steadfast love, tenderness. He says, I'll betroth you to me in faithfulness. Here he's promising security, that he's always going to be faithful to us. And then he says, you shall know the Lord. And it's the word, Hebrew word yada, which means you will know me intimately. And it's, a, it's an ongoing self-revelation. You know, isn't it, isn't it sad when couples marry and they realize they really didn't know each other that well. And as they live together year after year after year, they still say we really don't know each other that well. They don't really reveal the deepest parts of their hearts or their emotions or or their dreams or thoughts. But God says here, I will continually reveal myself to you. So that's what he wants with us. We know God loves us, but sometimes we don't know the intensity of his love for us. And we can see that in these two verses. He intensely loves each one of us. Okay, now let's go to the book of Revelation. We're going to look at Revelation chapter 2. You'll remember that Jesus wrote letters to the seven churches in Asia. This is the letter that he wrote to the church of Ephesus. Revelation 2, we're going to start in verse 2. And I'll tell you just a little bit of history. When, when the book of Ephesians was written by Paul, you know, that's like one of the richest books in the New Covenant. And that church, the Ephesian church, was one of the strongest, most mature churches. But the next generations, their children, their children's children, left that fervency after the Lord. And they began to, they continued to do church life, but it had become very routine for them. So we're going to see that here. And this is the church that he wrote to. It was the descendants of the original Ephesians. Chapter 2, verse 2. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. You've tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. 
You have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. So look at how he commends them. He says, I know you're doing all this good work. I know your patience, your endurance. I know that you can discern between good and evil. You can't stand the people that are embracing evil. You've tested those that say that are apostles and you've discerned that they're false. So you have a keen sense of discernment. Verse 3, he says, you, you've persevered, you've had patience, you've kept laboring for my name's sake, you've not become weary. Man, what a great commendation. But then in verse 4, he says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. First love refers to the foremost love, loving with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So he says in verse 5, Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So he says, Remember how you used to love me. You're still doing all these really good things, but you're not doing it out of love and passion for me anymore. It's just routine. It's just church life. So he says, Repent. Turn back to me. Do the first works again. And the first works for us would be really just loving the Lord with all of our hearts and making time for that inner court ministry. He says, or else I will come to you and remove your lampstand, which means your church will come to an end. And that did happen historically. The church of Ephesus came to an end. God removed their lampstand. You can go today in, in Turkey and you can see the rubble of the church of Ephesus. It's sad because that still happens, you know. Many churches thrive for a while and then they start to just go downhill. And it, we need to return to our first love. We need the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our gatherings to keep us on fire for God. So just to, uh, just to mention this again, he commended them for their good works, their spiritual maturity, and their faithfulness. But he reproved them for leaving their first love. And he could say similar things to us. He could say, it doesn't matter how mature you are in good works. It doesn't matter how hard you work. It doesn't matter how discerning you are. It doesn't matter how faithful you've been. I have this against you, and that is that you don't love me as you used to. You have left your first love. Sometimes you hear that phrase, you've lost it. Well, we don't lose our first love. We leave it. We turn away from it. Their service had become routine. It was not infused with a fervent love for Jesus. Some years ago, um, actually the book I mentioned last night, the book on meditation, Minty Nell, the author of that, I had gone to uh, England where she and her uh, teammate live. They're doing their missionaries together. And her teammate was getting married at the age of 49 for the first time to a man who was 83. And she said to me, if I can have two good years with him, it is worth it. And they had four good years to the day he died on their anniversary. I mean, God blessed them both amazingly in those four years. Just very unusual situation. Minty is so crippled that she can't be alone. She's got someone to help her dress, to put in her hearing aids and do different things. So my role from, was to fly from Israel to England to preach the wedding of Jan and her husband and to be the caretaker for Minty while they went on their honeymoon. So while I was there, my brother was a missionary in England. Uh, he was sent out from Antioch, he and his family, and they were doing ministry in Sheffield. And he said, hey, since you're in England, we're going to drive and just spend the day with you. So they drove down to where I was on the southern coast and spent the day with me. 
And I noticed my brother looked thinner, significantly thinner. So I said, Stephen, are you okay? Do they not feed you around here in England? And he said, you know, I've been so busy doing ministry. We're doing outreaches in parks. We're reaching out to all the young people. We're holding meetings all the time. I'm doing all kinds of ministry with our team. And he said, I realized I had left my first love. I didn't love Jesus like I used to. I was so involved in ministry. And for believers, ministry can be one of the biggest... Yeah, we got some good words here. Robber of your first love. Um, so he said, I want to be passionately in love with Jesus again. And so I started fasting. And I told the Lord, I'm going to fast 40 days to recapture my first love. And he said the hardest part wasn't missing out on food. It was missing the fellowship. Because when all my family, they have four children, when all my family would eat, I would go to my office and just be before the Lord, praying, seeking Him, worshiping Him, being in the Word. And he said, I missed the family times. I missed the team times around food, you know. Um, but he said, it's coming back. I've been going, I think he'd been on day 30. He said, and the Lord is restoring that passionate first love for him. I want to tell you, that's how important it is to have a first love and to maintain your first love. You have to work at it, just like you do in marriage. You have to work at keeping the fires burning yeah, you keep serving each other. You keep loving each other. You do what matters to the other person to keep loving them. What's the same with Jesus? You know, he wants time with us. He wants our attention. He wants our worship. And it's up to us. He's done everything for us. It's up to us to respond to him, to cultivate that first love, and then to maintain that first love. All the ministry we do to other people should come out of that covenant first love with Jesus. So if you're ministering to a whole lot of other people and wherever you are in your life in ministry, but you're not ministering first to the Lord, then you're doing it in your own strength and out of your own soul. It's not the overflow of the Spirit of God within you. So let's turn to the book of Song of Solomon's. Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. It's to the right of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Small book, isn't often taught out of. But we're going to use it to talk some about our bridal love relationship with Jesus. There are a few ways you can interpret this book. One is that it's figurative of the Lord's love for us and our, our love back to Him, and that's how we're going to look at it. Song of Songs, chapter 2, or yours might be Song of Solomon. Interesting in Hebrew, it is Song of Songs. It's not Song of Solomon. Okay, Hebrews 2, verse 10 and verse 14. Let's pray before we read this. Father, I pray that as we look at your word in this session that our hearts would be riveted to love Jesus. I pray that we, we would be captivated by his love for us and captured to fully love him with everything that we are. Lord, would you stir up that bridal love in our hearts? I pray especially for the men that sometimes find this harder. Lord, would you stir it up in each one of our men? 
may we all be passionately in love with Jesus and live out of that passion, not just have an emotional experience, but be a day in and day out love relationship. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> okay, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 10. This is the Shulamite, the female in the book, and she refers to her, to the guy as her beloved. So in verse 10, she says, My beloved spoke and said to me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Verse 10, O oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, this is still the beloved speaking, in the secret places of the cliff, let me see your countenance. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your countenance is lovely. There are times that the Holy Spirit will say to your spirit, rise up and come away. Come away, my beloved. Leave what you're doing. Leave the housework. Leave your desk and come away and just be with me. It's a time for love. It's a time for us to enjoy one another. In verse 14, he says, I want to see your face. I want to hear your voice. So he's not just looking for a sea of faces here. He's looking for an individual face. He wants to hear your voice and see your face. He wants quality time with you. Let's go to chapter 5. We're going to look at a few verses here. Chapter 5, the Shulamite is speaking again. She's sleeping. Verse 2, she says, I sleep, but my heart is awake. It's the voice of my beloved. He knocks, saying, Open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is covered with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. She was asleep, but her heart was awake. Has your heart ever been so connected with someone that even when you were asleep, you were aware of that person? Is your heart tuned to the Lord's voice? Are you spiritually alert even while you're studying or while you're working? Are you in tune with Him? Because that's where she was with her beloved. I sleep, but my heart is awake. Man, may the Lord awaken our hearts. Hey? We, we need hearts that are awakened. He says, Open for me, my sister, my dove. My head is covered with the dew, my locks with the drops of the night. So he starts out saying, Open for me. And Jesus could say that to us today. Let me into your busy and crowded life. Don't shut me out. Don't be so busy doing church work that you don't have time for me. Don't be so busy with the body of Messiah that you don't have time for the Messiah. He had been waiting outside long enough for the evening humidity to get his hair wet. How long does the Lord have to wait for us to respond to him? How long does he wait for us to meet him in the holy place, in the inner court? Verse 3, she says, I've taken off my robe. How can I put it on again? I've washed my feet. How can I defile them or dirty them? So she heard her beloved call to her, but she hesitated before responding. She had already washed her feet from the dirt floors. Now I've got a basin here. This is about what they had, not quite as deep, but they would have a basin like this and they'd fill it with some water, not a lot of water because, you know, they usually had to carry water from somewhere. But they would keep a basin under their bed. 
And the last, walking across the dirt floors at night, the last thing they would do is pull the basin out, wash their feet, and then get into bed. They would have already washed the rest of them, but now this is the last, the feet. So she says, I've already washed my feet. I've already dressed for bed. I'm, I'm in bed. How can I put on my clothes? How can I dirty my feet again? And then it says, my beloved put his hand by the latch of the door, and my heart yearned for him. I rose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the lock. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and was gone. All right, so let's talk about this. So... She, it wasn't convenient for her to respond when he came and said, open for me, my beloved, and called out to her. She did not want to get redressed, have to wash her feet again. It just wasn't convenient. She was not willing to make the effort. Many believers are like this concerning prayer. We want fellowship with God, but we don't want to be inconvenienced to get it. We don't want to get up early. We don't want to not go to some evening function and instead give that time to the Lord. We're too busy or we're too tired to be with Him. We hear God's call to pray. Come away, my beloved. Rise up. Come be with me. We hear it. But we're not willing to make the effort. We love to fellowship with each other. We don't want to miss that to fellowship with God. We're unwilling to sacrifice to meet with Him. When I was in high school, I had a friend who went to a different high school. I went to high school here. I grew up in Waco. So I was at Waco High. She was at Richfield High. And every Friday night, she had a date with Jesus. She got dressed for her date. She did her hair, her makeup. And she closed her bedroom door. And with her guitar, she would worship the Lord, read the Word, spend time in prayer. She said to me, I don't want to date men in this season of my life. I just want to be with my beloved. I want to be with the lover of my soul. There'll be time later for men. Right now, I just want to be with the Lord. And she gave in at least a year. It was 10th grade. She might have gone further. What I knew was 10th grade. That for an entire year, on Friday night, she had date night with Jesus. Man, she grew so much. Her countenance began to change. She just radiated the glory of God. Don't you know Jesus loved that? That kind of sacrifice, not going out with guys, rather just going out with Jesus. She was willing to sacrifice to meet with him. So back to the Shulamite, it says she saw his hand come by the latch of the door. Now they didn't have doorknobs. They had a latch and there was an opening by the latch. And so what a person would do if he came to visit someone, he'd reach through the opening and touch the latch and feel it. Now, if it's locked, that meant no one was home or it meant it was not a convenient time to visit. So if it was a man courting a woman, he would leave his myrrh on the doorknob, his fragrance, his perfume, if you will. So this beloved, his perfume was myrrh, liquid myrrh. So he reached in, he felt the latch, it was locked. And so he left his liquid myrrh his oil on the doorknob so when she got up she'd know he had been there you know if if you're seeing three or four different guys you need to know who wears what perfume right <laughs> so it was very convenient 
It's so sad now that all we do is leave a little calling card, <laughs> our little business card. I was here, sorry to miss you, you know. So when she saw his hand, the love in her heart overcame her desire to stay in bed. Verse 6, where she opened for her beloved, but he had turned away and was gone. So she rushed to the door. Instead of finding him, she only found the oil of myrrh on the handle. Myrrh was and still is a special fragrance. It signifies sacrificial love, suffering, and death. Because it is strong, it's often used in preparing a body for burial because it can cover the smell of the decaying body. The myrrh that he left was proof of his desire to want to be with her and of what it would cost her to have quality time with him. She would have to sacrifice as well. So although she saw his end and she felt the oil of his presence, she missed the intimate communion that he wanted. It's as if he invited her to embrace death to self, death to sleep, death to convenience, just to have time with him. And she refused. So in verse 6, we saw she was not satisfied with just his fragrance. She wanted him and she began to search for him. And we need to learn from this. When the Lord says to us, come be with me, we need to stop whatever we're doing and be with him. Spend quality time with him. Sometimes we have to set aside other interests, other loves, other priorities, and prioritize him. The Lord is looking for people that want him, that are not just content with the fragrance of his presence. There was a pastor in Texas some years ago that his, his plan for the morning, the Sunday morning, he was going to preach in his church, and when the service was over, he was going to go home and watch the Dallas Cowboys on TV. He was very excited. And, uh, he, and, but he heard the Spirit of God say to him, Rise up, come away, come be with me. And he said, Oh, Lord, man, I've been looking forward to watching this game. How about I watch the game, and then when it's over, I'll give you five hours, just five hours alone with you. Well, God was silent, so he figured he had struck a really good deal here. So he enjoyed the game, watched the game. Then he went into his prayer room, and he said, Okay, Lord, I'm here now. What do you want to say to me? What's on your heart? What do you want me to pray about? God was silent. And for five hours, God was silent. He had withdrawn. He had left. The spirit was grieved. And he didn't stick around to talk with his pastor. He had left. And the pastor repented. He said, I will never do that again. As soon as the Lord calls my name, I'm going to drop whatever I'm doing. I'm going to change my plans. I'll change my schedule. And I will prioritize him. <clears throat> there are a lot of us in the body of Christ that are satisfied with the fragrance, the perfumed oil of God without paying the price to have personal encounters with him. So what do I mean by that? I think a good example is the gatherings that we have here. You know, you can be all week long too busy for the Lord or grabbing a few verses here or praying a few prayers here and you're kind of busy through your week and you think, man, when I get into the gathering, good, I can connect with the Lord. And you walk in and the worship team is beginning and because the Lord promises to inhabit the praises of his people, that's in Psalm 22, verse 3, he says he inhabits he sits, he's enthroned on the praises of his people. So when we praise him together, he comes. 
So you can walk in and you feel the presence of God. As the people begin to praise him and worship him, you can feel the Lord is here. The fragrance of his presence is here. But you don't have to connect with him at all. You don't have to go kneel at the altar. You don't have to pray in your heart. You can just praise with everyone else. You can sing the songs. You can hear a good message. You can take notes. You can go home and have another week too busy to be with Jesus. So what you've done is you felt the, the fragrance of his presence, but you have not had a heart-to-heart -heart encounter with Jesus. And that's what he's looking for. Don't settle for just a wonderful worship gathering. Make sure you are having private time, personal time with the Lord himself. I grew up in a very close-knit family. Um, many of you know my mother, <clears throat> Mary McElroy. Her husband, my dad, died when she was 40, so she raised all of us, five of us kids. At the time, my youngest sister was five, my oldest sister was 17. So within that age group, she raised us to love the Lord and fear the Lord, and um, she's a remarkable woman. But we were so close as a family before dad died, but especially after dad died, because we all kind of clung to each other at that point that the way our house was, you walked in the front door, you're right in the living room, and then the bedrooms and the kitchen and other rooms were kind of on the outer outside of that. If anyone was ever in the living room talking to my mother, the others would hear and say, hey, it's family time. And we'd all run into the living room and we'd all be together, family time. We didn't want anyone to have personal time with mom. We all wanted to be together. And we would talk and we'd laugh. Sometimes we'd massage each other's feet, very affectionate family. Sometimes we'd pray together. Someone would share something on their heart. And we'd all say, hey, let's just pray together. Sometimes we'd worship together. Most of us played instruments. And, but it, family time happened frequently, just about daily and sometimes more than once a day. Anytime you heard voices in the living room, someone would say, family time! And we'd all drop what we're doing and we'd run to the living room and be together as a family. That was great. I loved it. Then I went away to college. And once I was in university, I thought, man, I, I never got to have time alone with mom. I never got to have time alone with any of my siblings. We were always all together all the time. And I thought, I miss that. I want that. So the next time I came home, I called mother in advance and I said, so when I get home, can we have just time alone? Can you and I go out for breakfast or lunch? Just you and me, not family time. And then I got in touch with my brothers and sisters and said, can I have time with you? Can we walk around the block and talk together? Can we go out for lunch together? And I, there were different things I knew I could do with different ones that would kind of match them. And that became my standard thing. When I'd come home, I'd have private time with family. We'd always still have family time. But nothing took the place of private time. Um, so this brother, I'll just tell you a funny story. I think it's funny. So the, the pastor of Christ the King, Romero Pena, some of y'all know him. So Christ the King was built by my father. First he pastored in that building. And after he died, after there were other pastors, and eventually we gave the church to Romero Pena, and he's doing a wonderful work there. But, but Reuben and I had just come home, and we met Romero for the first time. We went to the church, and we walked through and saw changes they'd made. We had a real good visit with Romero. Found out that he blew the shofar over Waco every Friday night, 
praying for revival in Waco. That was cool. So I uh, had just met him. I got in touch with Stephen. I said, hey, my brother, hey, Stephen, let's go out. Where do you want to eat? He said, let's go to Key Talks. So we went to Key Talks, and there were, you know, the tables are all so close. And it's a very intimate kind of setting. So Stephen and I are both very affectionate. So we're sitting at the table, and we had already eaten, and we're just talking. And he's pouring out his heart about some things, just very open. And he's holding my hand just on the table while we're talking. And I suddenly realized Ramiro Pena is sitting right there with a few men, and he doesn't know that Stephen's my brother. And he just met my husband. You know, that's within the last week. Man, I thought, oh, no. So I interrupted their conversation to say, I would like y'all to meet my brother. You know, introduced him very loudly to Ramiro. So sometimes being affectionate in public, it, it can backfire on you. So, so just saying that the Lord loves family time. He loves it when we get together. He loves this. This is family time. He loves our gatherings. He loves that. But it does not take the place of personal one-on-one -on -one time with each one of you. And if all you have is family time, you're not hearing his heart. You're not being that intimate with him. And he wants that even more than you do. And you may not even be aware how much you need it and how much you want it. You start having that kind of personal time with him. It will fulfill the deepest longings of your heart that nothing else will ever feel. So I want to challenge you. If you're not there yet, you can't really connect with what I'm saying. Spend time with the Lord. Be in the inner court. Hear his voice. Let his word speak to you and speak life over you. And see what he does with that, with your love relationship with him. <clears throat> Let's turn to Psalm 138. Psalm 138. Psalm 138, we're going to read verses 1 through 3. <clears throat> this is David. <clears throat> he says, I'll praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods, I will sing praises to you. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. In the day when I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. So you see how he starts out, I'll praise you. Lord, I'll praise you with my whole heart. Here's David in the inner court, praising the Lord with his whole heart. He said, before the gods, other people's gods, what other people set up, what other people worship, before that, I'm going to praise you. No one else gets my praise. No one else gets my worship. It's only you. I will serve no foreign gods, only you. You've captivated my heart. I belong to you. So verse 2 the second half says, you've magnified your word above all your name. That's probably what your version says or something very close to that. You know, that always used to bother me. I thought, how does he magnify his word above his name? Because his name is higher than anything else. I found out when I saw it in the Hebrew. <clears throat> the Hebrew for word in this verse is imra. Imra. And it means the spoken word. It's not the written word. It's the spoken word. 
And the word translated above is the word all. It's a pronoun, I mean a preposition. And it usually means above or upon. What this phrase actually says is you have magnified or exalted your spoken word upon all your name, nature, character, and person. Everything you are, your spoken word will reflect that. So anything God says to us will align with who he is. It's based on himself. He is truth. He is righteous. He is gracious. And all his words to us will be true, righteous, and gracious. And everything he says to us will never conflict with the written word of God. So the more we know the written word of God, the more we will hear the spoken word of God and we will recognize it as being the Word of God because it is based on His Word, which also reflects who He is. And then in verse 3, He says, In the day when I cried out, you answered me. Notice He didn't say I cried out only. He said you answered me. God spoke to Him. And when we cry out to the Lord, He will speak to us. He will answer us. He'll respond to us. And He said you made me bold with strength in my soul. So hearing him speaks to us, speak to us, strengthens us, it gives us courage to obey. Now let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy 8. What was happening here is God's people, the Israelites, were about to go into the promised land. <clears throat> So we're going to start in verse 1, but I really want to highlight verse 3. Deuteronomy 8, verse 1. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe or to obey, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore, swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And so he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, I've heard people use that verse to say that's why we need to read the written word because we live by the written word. We do live by the written word. We stake our lives on the written word of God. But what he says here is you will live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That means we've got to hear his voice. That means we've got to be tuned to what he wants to say. Remember our session on hearing God's voice last weekend. Hearing his voice will stir up passion for him and zeal in serving him. So what is a love relationship without communication? It's empty and it's fulfilling. It's unfulfilling. We looked in Isaiah 55 last week. In verse 3 he says, Hear, hear me, and your soul will live. If you don't hear me, your soul will not live. It will not thrive. It will wither. We've got to be hearing the voice of the Lord. We've got to make that time to be in the secret place, in the inner court, interacting with Him, worshiping Him, hearing Him. Let's look at one more, 
One more passage in Revelation 19. This is still to come. We're going to get to experience this. John saw it in advance. This is in our future. Revelation 19, verse 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. To her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. So will everyone be called to the marriage supper of the Lamb? It's a good theological question to discuss. <clears throat> but I'll show you again what it does say. It says, the lamb's bride, the lamb's wife, made herself ready. doesn't say everyone who ever prayed a sinner's prayer is seated at that table. It says those who made themselves ready, those who clothed themselves with the righteous acts. So this is serious stuff because we're looking at our future here. Are we going to all be seated at the marriage supper of the Lamb? Because I'm thinking they're serving pizza and chocolate. Probably don't want to miss the marriage supper of the Lamb. Don't want to make light of it. It's going to be one of the highlights of eternity. And we want to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, doing righteous acts, living righteously, praying, interceding, making disciples, doing everything God has called us to do while we're here, what we have such a short time here on earth. I'm going to draw you this. So our time on earth is the circle here, just such a short time. We're in that circle. For many of us, we're already pushing the right edge of that circle. But eternity goes on forever. It never ends. But what happens in eternity for us individually is determined by what happens in that circle. So we want to be wise during our lives, during this circle. We want to make kingdom decisions, godly you know, investments in the lives of other people. We don't want to waste our time. Okay, I'm going to pray and then we're going to go back into our small groups. One thing you're going to be looking at is how do I know that I've left my first love? You know, it's just kind of a term. How do I know that's true of me? Well, if I love someone else more than I love the Lord, if I have trouble forgiving others, you know, it's those kind of things. And so we're asking just that you look over those together and maybe pray together about some of those. So let's pray. Lord, I believe I can speak for all of us here when I say we want to hear your voice we want to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so would you help us as we push away the things of this world that would distract us or take away from your calling on us and your desire for us as your bride, as your holy priesthood, as your mature children. 
Lord, forbid that we stay young. Forbid that we stay immature. We all want to grow up. We want to please you in every area of our lives. Holy Spirit, we're so glad you're our helper. We're so glad you're our counselor and our comforter, that you get alongside us and you help us get where the Lord, the Father wants us to get. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We love you all. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.